Stephen King. I got a good microphone now. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but if you can, that wind is spooky as fuck. Good evening. Hello. And greetings. From me, Aura Van Dank. You're listening to, slash, watching, Murder's a Drag, episode 40. Ooh. It's not 40 videos, though, so we'll have to do a different... You know, if I would have started this as a video series, things would be a lot different, huh? 40 podcast episodes, 40 episodes of Murder's a Drag. Put that in your pooper, you know? I'm glad you're sticking with me through this. I wouldn't have if I was on the other side of the screen, so I'm so glad that you have. I've got a bunch of downloads, 250 in the past 30 days. That's great. Wonderful news. I love that. I didn't know my podcast was that popularly listened to, so I'm glad that we are at that point. How are you out there? I'm so sorry that I ask you so many questions. I feel like a dentist, like my hands in your fucking mouth. Like, how are you supposed to answer me? I'm not there. I'm there in spirit. So if you want to answer, you can answer. I started my show a lot longer than 40 weeks ago in my little corporate job back in North Carolina, uh, looking at that window every day, contemplating shattering through it and running to my car. And here we are. I did it. I did exactly that. <laughs> Genuine congratulations to myself. I'm also excited this week because I got an email that nine days ago, or I guess 10 days ago now, my degree was conferred, aka I graduated college. Five years later, I have my degree. I am super excited about it. I'm degreed, begreed, and motherfucking need. What? Who told me I was capable? Yes. So this week I've decided officially the news is in, the jury's in. I've lost it in quarantine. I've quarantined forever now and my mind is gone. My mind is back out in public. My mind went to the bar and I'm not speaking to her anymore because of that. Not an excuse. I know we're all going through it. Possibly an explanation as to why I'm going to be so unhinged until that changes. Who knows when? Here we are in the future. This week, I was reminded of a tragic murder that was depicted in It Chapter 2. Although the movie was meh, forgettable. That scene was based off of a very true story, save for the clown being the murderer. That's obviously not what happened. Adrian Mellon, the character in the movie, is harassed, attacked, and thrown off a bridge by three teenagers. And that's the true part of the story. Adrian Mellon was, in all reality, Charlie Howard. And his case is quite heart-wrenching. Now, I'll be entirely honest, the English major in me loves Stephen King. I love the way he writes, the almost unnecessary descriptiveness of his writing, the world building, the character development. It's all like some of the best, but the sex, the rape, the molestation, all of that is just, it makes me very uncomfortable. It's like content warning could have been published at the beginning of the book. Like it just, it gives me very mixed feelings, but on at the end of the day, I like him. I appreciate him. You're wondering how I felt about that. If not, fuck you. You should be wondering because you're here. And if you're not, then I don't want you to be here. And you've now personally hurt my feelings. And I think maybe that that's the point of his writing to like evoke that disgust in you. And that like, I just think of the scene from Gerald's game all the time. And I'm not going to explain it. I'm not going to describe it because if you know, you know, if you don't, you don't want to. And it's just, it's real. It's something that really happens and it happens often. And it's a taboo subject. I think the taboo of it all is the reason some of these survivors never come forward and never tell their stories because they're just like, oh, that's gross. Like, well, yes, it's disgusting, but maybe we should talk about it, open up a dialogue so that people can be honest about the things that they experienced. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna get back to the story. Stephen King evokes a lot of feelings and emotions in me. That's why I like it. One of those very uncomfortable, thought-provoking scenes being the murder of Adrian Mellon in both the novel and the new version of It. And that scene's written into one of the most, if not the most famous Stephen King novel. 
And we all know that those things sell like hotcakes. So this was important for him to write about, and I'm glad that he did, and he chose to write about it. And I'll mention now, for those of you who don't know, Stephen King is from Bangor, Maine. That's his hometown. That's kind of important. I also kind of gotta mention that there was this possibly inappropriately titled, just based on the manner of Charlie's death, a poem written by Mark Doty titled Charlie Howard's Descent. I don't like the way it's titled. A little dark for me. But hey, that's poetry. That's art for you. Anyway, Stephen King did a great job depicting it, you know, like I said, evoking that sense of dread, suspense, tragedy, heartbreak, all of it together. It, it was a good way to depict the murder. There's no nothing really good about the murder, but it was a good way to get people talking about it. And it certainly reminded me of when I read about the case for the first time. The real Adrian Mellon, a.k.a. Charlie Howard. I guess that would be the other way around. You guys know what I mean. Charlie was born January 31st, 1961 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. His parents wanted to have a kid, but they did. That kind of a deal. I personally was a surprise. Sorry, mom, for sharing that to the public, but I like to say accident. He likes to say surprise. So his parents were very loving. They nurtured him. He didn't have a shitty childhood. Luckily, he was able to grow up and be a happy kid. Unfortunately, Charlie was born with very severe asthma and he breathed with a little bit of a wheeze. He wasn't able to participate in sports or be very active, which didn't get him down very much, but it did cause him to suffer through a lot of bullying in school. And school was really shitty in the 70s, to be honest. And you guys know that. And it's not, it wasn't fun from what I've read. And I'm sure you can vouch the same. It was shitty. And I'm sorry that you guys had to go through that. I would not have. I would have personally been the one who did not go to school, which is kind of what I did when I got into high school. But that's not, that's not important. So Charlie suffered through that bullying for a few years. He didn't have to deal with it for very long because he ended up moving to Maine, a little town in Ellsworth. Not a little town in Ellsworth, a little town called Ellsworth in Maine. Basically, Charlie was slowly making his way towards the more populated area of his state. And like most gays do, he was flocking to the crowd. The bigger the population, the more chance there is to be more gay people. That is the only logic behind that, if anybody was ever wondering why we all moved to bigger cities. There's more gays there. And I mean, neither Ellsworth nor Bangor were exactly the best places for Charlie to be. I can't imagine that anywhere in Maine is exactly the most liberal or gay-friendly place to be. But Bangor specifically, I mean, there's a fucking Paul Bunyan statue in the middle of Bangor, and Paul Bunyan was not a real person. So that is the ideals of Bangor. That is a good representation of small towns in Maine. And that's where Charlie was making his way to. The Ellsworth is not quite Bangor, but he's getting there. He's getting towards the biggest population of his immediate area. To make things worse, Charlie had accepted his sexuality, discovered it, and come out of the closet. So he was receiving harassment, homophobic slurs, all of that good stuff that comes with being a gay person in a small town. And he was dealing with that on top of moving and trying to geographically find where he belongs, as well as, you know, mentally and socially finding where he belongs. For instance, there was an incident where Charlie was at a local store in Ellsworth, and a woman started yelling things at him like, you queer, and you're disgusting pervert. So Charlie decided to remove himself from the situation, being a small town and not wanting to be known as an aggressive person towards women, especially at that time, because he is a man, end of the day. But Charlie wasn't going to leave without being petty. So on his way out, he blew the lady a kiss and she got angry. The story was known because he would tell people about it when he would get frustrated about how close-minded and aggressive the people in his area were. And although Charlie had that fierce streak in him, he really didn't want that bigotry to get involved with him more than it had to, so he didn't want his family to see it, which kept him from going to his high school graduation and kept him from having his family there with him at his high school graduation, which is really sad. And I wish that that wasn't the case 
case for him. I wish that wasn't a case for a lot of people, but I know I didn't go to prom for the same reason. So I can't blame him for not wanting to deal with that. When he graduated high school, his main goal was to find his way out of Ellsworth and into Bangor itself, finally. Charlie had found a boyfriend at the time in Ellsworth, and that's who he was living with, but they wanted different things. Charlie wanted to leave Ellsworth. His boyfriend didn't. So when they broke up, Charlie left and headed to Bangor with not a single plan, nowhere to stay, no job, nothing. He just went to Bangor. Even though he had nowhere to stay, no plans, had no friends, no connections, by the magic of queer people, Charlie went to bars, social events, started getting involved with queer people, and met two guys willing to help, and started to form that queer family, that awesome queer family that will literally do anything for you, even though there is no blood relation. There honestly doesn't have to be. Paul Nodden and Scott Hamilton befriended Charlie after he moved to Bangor because they respected his mission to find where he belonged. We had all been there, they'd been there, so they knew that they could help Charlie. He was, however, a bit too unprepared for Scott and Paul, so they suggested that he move back home with his mom for a while so that he could figure out what exactly it was that he wanted to do to either help support himself or if he had goals or a mission or a dream. He didn't really have any of that prepared. He didn't have his notes taken so they were like you know what you're welcome back after you go figure your shit out a little bit so he went back to Ellsworth and back to the community that he knew he was still hanging out with LGBT people just not in the same capacity that he would prefer to he started exploring who he was he would put on makeup and jewelry and do what he referred to at the time as sissying up go off sister love it he was kind of learning that he was a very feminine person he wanted to get in touch with that feminine side but he was also learning that there was a very marginalized side of his community he'd experienced homelessness for such a short time, but there were people who experienced homelessness all the time. And he was inspired to help and get into activism and start getting involved with programs that he knew existed back in Bangor. So Charlie moved back in with Paul and Scott and decided to get actively involved in the LGBT community of Bangor. Charlie found a program through a local church in Bangor called Interweave, which focused on mingling allies and LGBT people together and mingling the queer community in with the rest of the community of Bangor and trying to take away the stigma of being gay, you know, just normalize being gay. Charlie made a ton of new connections and friends through that program. He went out with friends. He started, you know, creating a little group for himself where they'd go to the bar, they'd drink together. He even made a meal for Paul and Scott to pay them back for all the help that they'd given him. So he was really getting his shit together, just like he said he would. Charlie became successful. He started making it on his own. He was able to rent an apartment, and he even adopted a little baby kitty. And he was at the point in his life where he was being as open with who he was as he wanted to be and as feminine as he wanted to be. Publicly, privately, everywhere. He wasn't scared. A person living openly in their identity, a way that went against what they thought, triggered homophobes and bigots in the area to focus their attention and violence on Charlie, and they murdered his pet. That's all I'm going to say about it because it makes me sad. But they're disgusting people, and I wouldn't be sad if they died slow, horrible. That's just me. Like I said, Charlie was very involved with helping the local LGBT community through the program Interweave. And on the night of July 7th, 1984, Interweave was holding a potluck for the local community to come and have a meal together, socialize, and have fun. Charlie was with his friend, who could have been his boyfriend at the time. I like to think so. But it was never made completely clear, and this guy kind of ended up disappearing 
after all of this, but Roy Ogden was walking home with Charlie when, meanwhile, three piece of shits were driving a car with girls. Said piece of shits are James Baines, Sean Mabry, and Daniel Ness. 15, 16, and 17, respectively. They're all driving around with the girls. They're being toxic, masculine teenagers. When they come upon Charlie and Roy, they decide that they want to try to impress these girls or just be straight evil. So the boys jump out of their shitty car and start harassing Charlie. And yes, at this point, Roy is still there, but the target of their harassment is specifically Charlie because he's feminine, he's known around town, he's the town's target, essentially. They started kicking and punching Charlie until he was on the ground. And the whole time Charlie was telling them and begging to please stop, I have asthma. And they weren't listening and they continued to beat him. And instead of heeding his cries for help, they picked him up and threw him over the edge of the State Street Bridge into the Kandusky Creek in Bangor, Maine. They got back into their vehicle, peeled out of the scene, leaving Roy Ogden standing there, his friend having just been tossed into the river like a piece of trash, alone. Roy ran to a nearby intersection and pulled a firebox alarm and waited for help to arrive. And no doubt, very traumatized, save for some police questioning, Roy Ogden disappeared from my research. I wasn't able to find anything about him after this. Search and rescue efforts start immediately after law enforcement arrives to the State Street Bridge, and 10 minutes after midnight, Charlie's body is found floating in three feet of water, and he's not breathing. A medical examiner finds that his cause of death is drowning with a severe asthma attack being a contributing factor. So what he was saying to the boys was exactly what happened. He was having an asthma attack, and that's essentially what killed him. The only good thing about Bangor being such a small town is that Roy was able to identify the boys who murdered Charlie immediately to law enforcement before they let him go. And within 48 hours, the police had arrested all three boys responsible for killing Charlie Howard. Being minors, the boys only spend a few hours in jail before they're released to their parents. Just a few hours in jail for murdering a 23-year-old man throwing him off of a fucking bridge and they're out of jail in a few hours, as if that kind of person is not dangerous to let back out on the street for any amount of time. They got to walk free and live with mommy for a full two months, a little more than that, before on October 1st, they all plead guilty and are sentenced to time in a juvenile detention center for murder. They all did virtually no time. Daniel Ness completely eludes my internet searches. I have no time, no idea how much time he spent in prison, if he died in the juvenile detention center if he's just genuinely disappeared into thin air, which I really fucking hope so because he sounds like a terrible person and I hope that nobody else had to cross his path while he was alive. James serves only two years for throwing a man off a bridge and murdering him. And then Sean Mabry serves even less than that, two months shy at 22 months in juvenile detention center for throwing a man off of a bridge and murdering him. James is still in Bangor to this day working at a technology firm whatever that means. And as frustrating as it is, I think he's maybe found some penance in his life or something. He spent decades after murdering somebody by throwing them off of a bridge, speaking at high schools about tolerance and not doing that. He wrote a book. Well, he didn't write the book, but he helped a guy write a book about Charlie's life and even about James's involvement in Charlie's murder. He's taking responsibility. He's showing remorse. He's doing all of the things that a serial killer wouldn't do, so it's hard to just pin him as a terrible person and leave it at that. Although I'd love to, I can't necessarily do that. He even testified to legislature to help pass 
an anti-discriminatory bill by sharing the story of how he murdered somebody because of bigotry and discrimination, which is a very powerful story, I suppose, to be telling at a testimony in front of legislature. Legislature? Legislature. Sean Mabry continued to have a very troubled life after he was released from the juvenile detention center, spent time in prison a lot for assault charges and mostly just criminal mischief. I don't know what exactly falls under that, but he had a lot of those charges on his record. And he spoke in an interview 10 years after the time that he threw somebody off of a bridge and murdered them and then got to do an interview. Doesn't sit right with me. Regardless, he's quoted saying, Charlie Howard was so young. He was helpless that night and three reckless high school kids come along and just for the hell of it toss him over a bridge because of our actions charlie howard lost his life sounds like it's a really deflecty kind of story he never said sorry i think he's just crazy he probably got into drugs and hopefully he's gone too that's what happened to the murderers but that's really not important i know you guys aren't here because you care about that and that's why i love you to this day july 7th is known as equality day in bangor maine because of Charlie's murder. They celebrate their equality and their now rainbow crosswalk, rainbow flag neighborhood. It became a very gay kind of neighborhood in Maine. And it's definitely one of the more liberal towns. Not that I've ever been. He's definitely being actively remembered in his community. And unfortunately, that sometimes comes with bigotry still. And in 2009, his memorial that was made for him was vandalized with the words die fag spray painted over his plaque. There was a really cool lady, though, that kept his flowers up, weeded the area, just kept it pretty over there, named Mickey McDonald, and she got it on the news, she got it fixed, donations came in, the memorial was rebeautified. it looks amazing now. The community does a lot for Charlie. Back then, they even started gathering on the bridge and tossing flowers into the stream where Charlie died, and to this day, they toss flowers off of the State Street Bridge in memorial of Charlie and the murder that took place there. It's a really powerful thing for them to do every year. And one time, in a kind of dumb interview question, Stephen King was asked if he feels responsible to fix LGBT rights in Maine or in his hometown somehow. And although the question is stupid, his answer I liked. He said, I don't feel responsible exactly, and I'd never laid that on the community. But it's our town. We live here. Which means we have to live with Charlie and continue trying to make it right. Yeah, like I said... Some question, but I think he answered well. I like that. On that note, have me to transform a little bit. Okay, that's the finished look for this week. That's the mood because I graduated college. So that's where we're at. I broke the lights behind me when I did that. So that's fun. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you learned something about the person that most of us saw be murdered in the beginning of a very popular movie, that it meant something, that it was a true story that even the writer of the book that got turned into the movie knew it was true and wanted that to start a conversation. So here I am starting that fucking conversation. Let's get into it. Come back every week if you want to. I do this a lot every week, in fact. And this is the 40th time that I've done that. If I didn't already have a website, that'd be a problem. I do. It's murdersadrag.com. I have tons of merch, tons of designs. You can contact me on the website. You can email me, murdersadrag at gmail.com, at murdersadrag on all social media, at Aura Van Dank for me as a drag queen. I love you a lot. All of you. Every single individual one of you I love with a passion like no other. And I'll see you next week. Mwah.